Thank you for choosing to listen to the Emmaus Radio Ministry Podcast. Each of these messages were given by various faculty, staff, and friends of Emmaus Bible College. To view each series as a whole or for more information about similar Emmaus ministries, please visit concerninghim.com. Welcome back to all of our listeners. Thank you for joining me today as we continue to focus our hearts, minds, and actions towards our worthy God, Jesus Christ. Let's continue our journey in the book of James. We will focus on trials in the Christian life. Specifically, in the next few sessions, we'll be focusing on trials in terms of our joy, our testing, and our understanding of our God amidst suffering and difficulty. Additionally, we will take a quick look into the background and setting of the book of James and discuss chapter 1, verses 1 through 8 in the text. But first, let's review the overarching theme and ideas of the book of James. How do we respond to God, the culture, and the world like first century Christians did in the early church amidst similar political unrest and distrust, challenges of isolation from friends and family, probably because of disagreements on issues revolving around culture, even politics and faith, things that maybe lead to fear and suffering of injustice and civic division and turmoil and pressure and fear that comes with a world that seemingly doesn't understand nor trust us. James is a book on the critical doctrine of the gospel applied in our everyday interactions in areas of normal life. It's a book about living a life of consequence and having lasting impact for the glory of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. For modern Christians like us, it is vitally important that we pursue the living God from a clear understanding and genuine belief in Jesus. Remember, it's a head, heart, and hands way of seeing the world and how the Christian is called to live in it. That we live in the world in such a manner that our motivations, emotions, thoughts, and actions align with the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, for James, our words and actions are very important in demonstrating a genuine understanding and following of Jesus and the good news of the gospel. That being like Christ demonstrates that we have been truly changed by Christ. Remember, right actions reveal right theology, or in other words, a right study of or understanding of God. And poor actions reveal wrong theology, or in other words, the study of the understanding of God that's, that's inaccurate and wrong. It's responding to God in true faith through right belief that produces right actions that follow that of Jesus Christ. James says that this is true religion, the royal law of love. This is the main premise that we'll be weaving in and out of the book of James as we go throughout our journey. So let's begin our work by looking at some of the background and setting of the book and dive into chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. So faith in trials. The author of the book of James is strongly viewed as Jesus' half-brother, James, referring to Galatians 1.19. And he's the brother of Jude. This is the Jude that wrote the book of Jude, Matthew 13, verses 55, you can investigate. The background and setting of the book of James is in a Christian, messianic, Jewish context. These were Jews who had apparently come to know Jesus amidst the dysphoria, these were Jews scattered and dispersed throughout Palestine and heard the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, James 1, verse 1. 
There are several references in James's letter that also support the Jewish nature and focus of his teaching. For example, you can look at verses chapter 1 verses 18 or chapter 2 verses 2 and 21. Even chapter 3 verses 6, chapter 5 verses 4 and 7. According to Dr. Dave Reed in his Growing Christians Ministry Devotions in the book of James, all evidence points to the fact that James was not written before 44 AD, so many believe the author to be in fact James, the half-brother of Lord Jesus. Mary and Joseph had other children following his miraculous virgin birth. In fact, the Gospel of Mark states, This is not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, is it? James, Josephus, Judas, and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? Mark 6, 3. As people were questioning the wisdom and miraculous power of Jesus as he began his public ministry, they questioned his power and his work, and most importantly, they questioned his identity. They merely saw him as a family member and not God. Consequently, James, the half-brother of our Lord, was one of these children. Dr. Reed also further indicates that at first, James, the author of this epistle, did not believe in Jesus as the Christ. In John 7 verse 5, we read, For even his brothers did not believe in him. Later, however, there came a change of heart and James became a believer. We read in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 7 that the Lord made a special appearance after his resurrection to his earthly brother James. And in Acts 1 verse 14, we read that the brothers of Jesus were gathered together in the upper room with the disciples and other believers. James, the brother of our Lord, went on to become a leader in the church of Jerusalem. And according to Acts chapter 15, he presided over the first church council held in Jerusalem. The context of the book of James is focused on a reaction of James to the behavior, attitudes, and actions of these Messianic Christian Jews who were struggling to live out the gospel in the spirit of Christ and his teaching and Christ's love for others. James was responding to their struggle and confronted specific issues that they seemingly were actually struggling with. And as a reminder, these issues are what it means to be truly religious or spiritual in God's eyes. They were struggling in responding to personal trials and temptations. Their motivation and trust of God and love for others was also a problem in their midst. Another issue that they dealt with was addressing their tongue in anger, gossip, and slander. James was confronting a love for money that they had, challenging discrimination, their challenge to exercise kindness and charity for the sake of Christ and their own faith and their own ability to witness. Surely issues that are relevant and applicable of our day in our context as God's people. So let's turn to the text. Today we're going to explore chapters 1 verses 1 through 8. Let's read chapters 1 verses 1 through 8. And it says, For James, the slave of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes dispersed abroad, greetings, my brothers and sisters. Consider it nothing but joy when you fall into all sorts of trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect effect, so that you'll be perfect and complete, 
not deficient in anything. But if anyone is deficient in wisdom, he should ask God, who gives all generously and without reprimand, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blowing and tossed around by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord, since he is a double-minded individual, unstable in all his ways. You see, the central component of James's thinking here is really faith. A faith in which many other things related to our interaction with God as Christians hinges on. For instance, it is our understanding and commitment to faith in God himself that determines how we understand the character and nature of God. This in turn shapes how we respond to testing and trials and even suffering and other things like temptation that James will talk about very soon. You see, God's character in the sense of what he expects of us and his nature and how he responds to us is central in terms of how we understand and interact and respond to God. His character is who he is and his nature is what he is doing in living out his character. Specifically, James points out that if you expect to endure suffering with joy and handle life's trials without despairing and giving up, and that if you expect to receive wisdom and comfort from God amidst difficulty, then you must simply know and believe that God is who he says he is. In fact, these themes of testing, suffering, and trials through joy and wisdom are the connecting points that hold the entire letter together. This is his launching point. So let's define faith and our understanding of God before we tackle difficult subjects like having joy and wisdom when we encounter testing, suffering, and trials. You see, faith is commonly misarticulated and misunderstood. It is widely defined through Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 and verses 6, which says, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for, being convinced of what we do not see, verse 1. And verse 6, Now without faith it is impossible to please him, for the one who approaches God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. The author of Hebrews is merely describing the result of faith. Hence, faith brings assurance and conviction in the things that we look forward to, but do not yet see, and that this pleases God. Also see Romans chapter 8. In short, our faith is not hoping in the future. Our faith is hoping in the God who has secured and is our future. R.A. Torrey says the following about faith. He says, trying to believe something that you want to believe is not faith. Believing what God says in his word is faith. If I am to have faith when I pray, I must find some promise in the word of God on which to rest my faith. For instance, here in James, we're told in chapter 1 verse 5, that if anyone is deficient in wisdom, he should ask God who gives to all generously and without reprimand, and it will be given to him. This is God's promise to us. Do we believe it? More importantly, do we trust God, 
who is the one who promised it. The Greek word used for faith in Hebrews 11 and Romans 4 is a word that indicates to be persuaded to the point of reliance. Additionally, also a similar related root word for faith is used in John chapter 3 verse 16 where we are instructed that whoever believes upon Jesus Christ will not perish, but have everlasting life. This simply means to entrust or commit to. The implication of these two words and ideas indicate that salvation and sanctification comes through a genuine acceptance of the work of Jesus Christ that leads to a surrendered allegiance and commitment to who he has claimed to be. This is faith. This is the requirement that James points out that God wants and expects when we come to him for wisdom and help and support. We believe God. We surrender to God. We commit to following God. According to the scriptures, faith is necessary for salvation. Faith, then, is inevitably exercised in a spirit-filled life as we approach God by a humble surrender with a genuine belief in who He is and what He has said, especially for our salvation and especially for help amidst our difficulty and trying circumstances. We find hope and strength in His character and who He is and nature in what He does. So let's explore this idea a little bit more in depth in terms of the kind of faith that pleases God. Thank you for listening to the Emmaus Radio Ministry Podcast. This ministry is possible because of the generous contributions from our partners around the world. For more information about partnering with us, please visit emmaus.edu partner.